Welcome to Sugar Loops Weekly, the podcast that you love and the podcast that Kevin Reinhardt will never listen to. We are recording this on Wednesday, October 13th. This episode is brought to you by Team You Want Zero Smoke. In NFL Week 5, Josh Fields and Team Smoke lost to Mike Bryant's Team 1.21 gigawatts by just 7 points. Team Smoke started wide receiver A.J. Brown in a flex spot while sitting Dallas running back Tony Pollard. This proved to be a costly error, with Pollard outscoring Brown 14.3 to 6.8. Had Team Smoke started Pollard, they would have pulled off a one-point victory over Team Digga Watts. We at the pod appreciate those points being left on the bench to sponsor Episode 2 of Sugar Loops Weekly. Thank you, Team Smoke. Uh, this is your host, Joe Pardo, and we have a very special guest today. His name is Mr. Tim Higgins. He is the senior pastor of North Suburban Church in Chicago. Uh, he's the manager of Team Let Russ Cook. You might know him better um, for his time playing football at the University of Florida, where he was on the SEC Academic Honor Roll. He was, you know, an SEC champion, a member of the 2006 BCS National Championship team. Um, Tim, welcome to Sugar Loops Weekly. Podcast Joe, this is an incredible honor. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> oh, it is an honor to have you on. So, um, so have you done podcasts before? I have not. This is my first appearance. That's great. So I've actually, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts at this point. Um, I would consider myself very experienced. Um, hey, it shows. It shows. You've got skills, talent. Appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, we have a little Sugar Loops pod victory here. Um, we had to coordinate with different time zones which I think really speaks to the maturity of this podcast. Um, so, all right, this is episode two. And I really, today, first, I want to jump right into some fantasy football talk. Yeah. Um, we are coming up on NFL week six. Uh, we have team Let Russ Cook versus team Sturgis. Uh, Sturgis with a lot of momentum coming off that first W. Um, so, you know, he's outscored you. 6.15 to 6.10 so far this year, but really it sounds like it's anyone's game. Um, so how are you feeling at this point in the fantasy season um, from your manager seat? Man, it's been a disappointment, you know, to be Ooh. honest. Uh, Oof. I felt good after the draft, did more research, probably an embarrassing amount of research going into the draft compared to previous years, more than I really have the bandwidth to do with my life situation uh mm -hmm. did some some uh uh mock drafts which i've never done before mm -hmm. felt good coming out and it's just you know week after week i'm just projected to have a decent score and then uh and then you know different guys are taking turns uh underperforming uh we'll get mccaffrey back here hopefully this week we'll get uh russ back cooking in a few weeks so you know i need some of those and and we'll get uh my boy from new orleans back off the uh uh, physically unable to perform. So I think we've got hope. The computers, the AI computers have been saying we've got hope. So you never know. But uh, I'm just hoping my team doesn't feel intimidated this week playing against Caleb Sturgis, you know. Right. Very um, intimidating. There's going to be some nerves. Uh, just a, a man of his stature on the on the opposite sideline. 
Right, right, right. Understandable. So, you know, that it's funny you have this outlook. Um, it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff I talked about with Dave that, you know, sometimes you put in a lot of work and it doesn't really pan out. And then on the flip side, sometimes you might not put in much work at all and right. um, you, you dominate. So, this, right. you know, this seems to be some interesting themes coming through this league. Um, let Russ cook. That was a meme about Russell Wilson. I honestly, I don't really know where that came from. Um, do you know kind of the background on, on where this, this phrase let Russ cook comes from? I don't know a lot about it. I think it's my, my understanding and somebody will correct me on this, but Seattle fans over the last few years wanting mm. to just open up the playbook, let, let Russ toss the ball around the yard. And when they do, they throw for a ton of yards. And, right. uh, yeah. So. Let them do his thing. I mean, that's a big loss. He's having a top 10 uh, fantasy season so far. Um, you know, I knew it I knew it was going to be bad and require surgery. As soon as I saw it, I was watching that game. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason I'm familiar with this injury is because I actually had the same thing. So, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a FDP avulsion or a flexor digitorum profundus uh, avulsion. It's basically your tendon separates off of the bone. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for How'd him, it was his, so for him, it was his middle finger. For me, it was my ring finger, and I injured it in the more classic way that this injury occurs. So he basically threw the ball, and his hand came down on someone's helmet, bent his finger back, and the tendon popped off. For me, um, I was playing flag football, got my hand stuck in someone's jersey trying to grab the flag, and the colloquial name for this injury is actually called jersey finger uh, because oh. that's a common – way that it happens so it's usually the ring finger uh the ring finger is usually a little more prominent than the other digits in most people so it's you know on average exposed to a little higher force than other other fingers in a gripping type situation so um yeah i i I busted up my tendon on my ring finger and um you know it's in hindsight it's kind of funny how how dumb things are that you do sometimes so I, I injured my finger and, you know, I thought it was kind of weird. I couldn't move um, the last, you know, piece of my finger just wouldn't move. But I thought maybe it was just because it was swollen or whatever. And it was the end of a school semester and I had finals to worry about. So um, I said, you know, I'll just I'll deal with this. I'll go see the doctor later in like a week or two after finals get through. And um, my wife, who I was dating at the time, she um she said actually no I was reading about this online you need to go to the doctor right now and so finally I went and the surgeon told me basically I was an idiot and you know he was a glorious enough surgeon that he would still be able to fix me um mm. but it was a very time sensitive thing so I'm glad mm. I got that that taken care of but mm. um yeah so hopefully Russ uh comes back strong definitely a big loss for you and who do you have taken over for him right now um heineke washington football team a little scrappy scrappy dude mm. uh hoping not that, familiar uh, with get, him get a couple yeah right not familiar exactly. with him right okay. we gotta maybe get a couple scrappy weeks out of him okay okay all right so uh we'll hopefully a couple of scrappy weeks from him hope russ comes back um football you know injuries happen it's a sport that carries risk um which is actually one of the things i wanted to talk about on the pod today since you are a football player yourself. So I guess first to lead into that, um, could you tell us a little bit of your background um, as a football player? Yeah. Coach's son, 
So my dad's been a football coach my whole life. So uh, I played flag football in first grade, didn't really get it. You know, uh, started really wanting to play in middle school. My parents said no. Uh, seventh grade was a major battle that I lost. Did not get to play tackle football. Eighth grade, they let me play. Um, and what what was their reason? Just to avoid injury or? Yeah, just you don't need to. You know, you can play and be good in high school without having played in middle school. There's so many injuries in middle school. People don't know how to control their bodies. Gotcha. Yeah, so uh, played in high schools in Pennsylvania. Uh, my freshman and sophomore year of high school, small school there. And uh, uh, played there. And then junior and senior year, we moved to Michigan. And I was uh, finished high school there. And uh, had a good little high school career. And was, I was probably like an Ivy League type guy is really where I should have been. I uh, mm-hmm. didn't have any like full scholarship offers coming out or anything. But um, that kind of like one double A non-scholarship was kind of my level. But chose to walk on at Florida instead. And uh, heard Chris Leak telling uh, recruits his senior year of high school, hey, come with me to Florida. We're going to go win a national title. And I said, hey. Mm-hmm if I could be part of that. So they let me walk on and uh, that was great. And, but then I had a year of eligibility left after the 06 championship season. And by that point, my dad had taken the head job at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. So I played my fifth year there for my gotcha. dad. And so I kind of feel like I got the best of both worlds, got to be part of a national championship team, get a ring. I only got a one game there, but then uh, got to like play, play my fifth year and get that right. experience as well. So, I mean, you know, in order to make it as a walk-on at UF, um, obviously, you know, you're a talented, you know, athlete. So what kind of stuff, uh, you know, what were your thoughts? What were your considerations as you were looking at, you know, I can go to UF and try to make it as a walk-on versus, you know, going to one of these other smaller schools that you mentioned and, um, you know, having more significant playing time um, in that type of setting? Yeah. You know, I don't know really what it came down to. It was a kind of a gut feeling thing. Honestly, money ended up being a big part of it. I got to end up getting a full academic ride to Florida. And, you know, when I went on my visit, I kind of still thought I'm still going to, you know, go to any smaller places and where I can really play, but just kind of met a group of folks on my visit there that uh, really loved hanging out with them. Uh, just said, man, you know, I just, I just kind of caught that dream of, you know, what if I could play for the Gators and uh, hey, that's so, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Okay, so you um, so how does this process work as like a walk on? So like from the day you enroll at UF, um, you know, how do you do it? What did you do? How does this work? Yeah, yeah so probably December of my senior year of high school, just showed up on Florida campus. My dad knew somebody who knew somebody who knew the offensive coordinator of Florida, you know, it was just barely enough to kind of like not have me locked out of the building I could like stop in and drop off a tape those are the days like I I think I literally dropped off a VHS tape um so uh my high school tape said hey would you guys just take a look at this and consider whether you'd uh, invite me to be a walk-on so three days later I heard back and said hey yeah we want to invite you to come up uh in June you know if you make it through summer workouts then you're on the team for the fall so uh you know week after graduating high school just uh showed up on campus with the rest of the freshmen and uh, jumped right in. And that's kind of how it worked for me. Some, some guys do tri- uh, be part of a tryout. I was blessed not to have to be part of a tryout based on gotcha. my high school tape. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Okay. So um, you make it as a walk-on. 
And, um, you know, from what I can see on the UF website, um, you did a lot of work on the scout team. Um, So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, on one hand, to me, that sounds like a lot of fun. You get to go out there and, you know, play football. On the other hand, you know, it sounds pretty scary. Um, I mean, I'm just looking back at the roster for, you know, like the mid-2000s Florida Gators. We got, you know, Reggie Nelson, Tony Joyner, Dorian Monroe, Brandon Seiler, Brandon Spikes, Ryan Stamper, Jermaine Cunningham, Jared Harvey, Jarvis Moss, Earl Everett, Channing Crowder, and probably a lot more that I I missed there. But it just sounds like a little – it sounds like a scary place to be. Um, so, you know, how, how is that as a scout team wide receiver or, you know, whatever other positions you might've done on the scout team? Uh, what was that yeah. like? Yeah, it was wild. And, and, uh, Dave Fields and Nate Young, I'll tell you, I'm a little bit of a masochist. So that wasn't really ever like, a you know, I don't actually mind being like the guy in the background, you know, doing the dirty work so that, you know, the, if I feel like I'm really helping the team and, you know, plenty of times I felt like I was really helping the team. So, you know, just giving a good look each week, you know, each week at, wear a different jersey number of, you know, whoever from the other team I was impersonating and, you know, just uh, give these guys their best look. The hardest parts were when, you know, the, you know, when that you have a successful play, you beat somebody deep and score a touchdown and then the defensive coaches are just screaming at them and, Hey, it's run it again. And then you just know you're going to get just absolutely laid out. On the next play, and there's nothing you can do about it. So it's just like, you can never really be that happy with your performance on, at practice because, you know, the next one's going to be terrible. Gotcha. So if you do good, you're really just asking for a punishment on the next yeah. one. Right. So, yeah. I mean, does anything stand out as like, oh, the, you know, the hardest I ever got hit was? <laughs> yes. Uh, so scout kickoff team, Urban, uh, when Coach Meyer came, he just was, you know, just so meticulously detail-oriented on special teams. Just, you know, so that was, special teams was worse than – scout offense always so scout kickoff team we ran a our kickoff return ran a you know a double team with uh it, that year it was uh billy latsko a full our starting fullback and javier mm-hmm. Estopunan, who's you know 300 pound defensive tackle just kind of shoulder to shoulder like full speed ahead and they're just like whoever's the second guy in from the right there that's their guy and they're just like together shoulder to shoulder kick him out so as scout team guys were just kind of like, everybody's got to take a turn being number two. Uh, you know, just it's, one, it's eventually going to be your week and you just got to go. But you can't, you just can't go around the block. Like you just, you probably, you, your locker will be cleared out because they need somebody to give a good look of trying to split the mm-hmm. block, you know? So it's just like a bad deal. So, you know, it's my day. And all I, you know, the only thing I remember from is I was like, I'm not, I'm not slowing down. I'm giving them this look and it's, you know, 560 pounds coming right at me total <laughs> between those two guys. And uh, the only thing I know is I woke up on one hash mark and my helmet was on the other hash mark, but all the little pieces <laughs> from inside my helmet, like all the little pads from inside my helmet were just scattered between the hashes. And I got up and went to the wrong sideline. I'm trying to gather my stuff. Like it was, I was like out, out. Oh, yeah, wow. That was, okay. that was the worst for sure. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I mean, what you're describing to me is actually the symptoms of a traumatic brain injury. um, Or, you know, we call it, you know, a concussion. Um, So, you know, that's, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, since we have, you know, a collegiate level athlete here on the pod. um, 
So I feel like, you know, attitudes uh, towards football have kind of evolved a little bit over time. You know, as you know, I mean, do you remember on uh, Monday Night Football or on Monday Night Countdown, they used to have a segment called Jacked Up? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, Loved you know, it. I mean, it was pretty yeah. good enough of it. Yeah. It was great, right? We would sit there and, you know, just celebrate these vicious, vicious hits. Um, yeah. But really, now you kind of look back on, you know, they don't do right. it anymore. Um, right. You know, yeah. there's a bigger emphasis on safety in the game now. Yes. Um, but, you know, those kind of hits probably are going to take a toll on someone um, yeah. over time. And I mean, what you, you know, you're describing um, sounds, you know, from that play you talked about, pretty consistent with the uh, symptoms of a concussion, uh, which could be headache, dizziness, ringing in the ears, confusion, memory loss, um, stuff like that. So, you know, if you had to think back to your football career, how many concussions do you think you might have had? Man, yeah, it was before they really started caring. So I never had one that was diagnosed. Like I never missed a practice right. because of a concussion. But uh, I probably, I know I had three, you know, just knowing what we know about symptoms now, like for sure I had three, probably it's more likely that I had five or six to meet the clinical definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So now here we are, we're on the other side of your football career. And um, what are your thoughts, you know, on, on the short, short term and, you know, possibly long term risks of playing the game football? you know, from a youth to high school and then collegiate level or higher level, um, you know, do you think, I mean, you have kids now, so do you think, like, is this a game you're comfortable with your kids playing? Um, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Right. Yeah. I mean, I watched a concussion movie like everybody else and was like, whoa, yikes. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy about safety measures that are being implemented. I'm super confused by what targeting is and isn't. Can't figure that out. And would like yep, them to be agreed. consistent about that. But, um, but yeah, they're figuring it out. And, you know, I saw something on Instagram the other day with a UF player wearing something that looked like a spaceship helmet on their head. And, <laughs> you know, so, like, they're going to keep making developments that way. You know, I'm just kind of, you know, for us where the rubber meets the road is, you know, if our kids want to play one day, are we going to let them, like you said, you know, that's right. It won't be, uh, it won't be till eighth grade at the earliest. So I feel like we've still got like nine years to figure that out. And I'm just kind of like not spending a lot of energy thinking about it because what's the game going to be at that mm-hmm. point. I wouldn't hate it if they widen the field, uh, mm. you know, more scoring, less hits like that. Gotcha. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if the helmets get better and everything, you know, they may make some other rule changes that help, you know, so it seems like a lot of effort right now to expend getting all worked up about whether our kids are going to play or not when a, they might not want to, which is fine with us mm-hmm. and B the rules might change. It might be a non-issue, you know? Um, no, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really matter what we talk about today because in, you know, 10, 15 years, however long it's going to be, however old your kids are now, um, we might be looking at a completely different circumstance. Um, right. So yeah, that, that, that makes sense. But you know, it's something I struggle with. I mean, I, um, you know, I have a two year old, so obviously, far from having to even, you know, get close to that topic. Um, But, you know, I never even played past high school. And um, so, you know, I never had to endure the um, Estopan or Estopion, what's his name? And Latsko. I never had to endure something like that. Um, But, you know, I I did dislocate my shoulder. I tore my labrum in my left shoulder. So I had surgery during high school, ended up being able to come back and play my senior year. Injured it some more, but it was, you know, mostly okay. 
and now I'm done playing football. So for the most part, it's okay. But at the same time, it's definitely not as healthy as my right shoulder. So, you know, I'm 33 right now. Seems to be holding up fine. But, um, you know, when I'm, you know, 50, 60, 70, um, and now, you know, everything else is starting to break down a little bit. How's that shoulder going to hold up? And will a few years of fun be worth, you know, decades of dysfunction, possibly? I don't know. I guess time will tell. Um, So, you know, I love playing sports as a kid, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Football, like you said, I guess we'll just wait and see uh, what the landscape is like. Um, So let's get let's get on to something not so morbid. I don't want to be so negative football right now. Let's talk about something uh, more positive. So um, let's talk about Western Carolina. So (laughs) I remember I was a, a freshman at UF. In uh, 2006, and, you know, I went to all the football games, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the stadium, and now all of a sudden, people are, like, chanting this guy's name, and, um, you know, I'm pretty new on campus, so I don't really know what's going on, but apparently, that was you. So, um, tell us a little bit of background. How did, you know, what happened leading up to that point? Yeah, I didn't know any of that was going to happen. So, uh, you know, it's late in the season. It's my fourth year. Uh thinking that, you know, it's my final year and I haven't gotten in a game yet. You know, Western Carolina is terrible. So if there's, if it's ever going to happen, it's going to be this week. Um, I'm kind of like ready to go. They kind of like have me on like second team kickoff, second team punt return kind of stuff. So I'm like, there's like real hope here. If we get up, then I'm going to at least go in on special teams. It'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know. So um and what I do, what I didn't realize is that a bunch of my friends had gotten together and printed out 10,000 flyers with my face and story on them and just gone to every tailgate they could go to before the game saying, hey, in the fourth quarter, we're going to chant his name and let's get him in the game. And then, you know, so beginning of the fourth quarter, I see the signs go up uh, and, you know, the chant starts and Coach Meyer looks over at me and say, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what this is. So uh, they start talking about, let's get him in, you know, but it's 62 to nothing. So we can't throw, you know, so they're like, Hey, he comes over to me and says, Hey, have you ever taken a handoff? I was like, I, did. I mean, I played running back for a year in high school. I could do that. Um, he's like, right. Get with Tebow over here on the sideline and just go through the steps. Here's what the play is going to be. Uh, and so we worked on it a couple of times on the sideline and then, uh, they threw me in there and uh, got that carry, uh, one carry, zero yards, career stats at Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so but, this was yeah. not not a play you had practiced before. You no. had only done worked on special teams. Um, so yeah. what was the play you ended up going in for? Trey Wright, 98 to side. was what it was, just an outside zone to the right side. Okay. Yeah. So you just had to do this on the fly. Tebow came over and got you and said, all right, you're going to go here and I'm going to give you the ball. So, yeah. all right. So you work on it on the sideline a little bit. You figure out what's going on. Now it's actually your time to get on the field. Um, what's going through your head? You're sitting there, you're on the field in the middle of the swamp. People yeah. chanting your name. Like, was, I mean, is it hard to focus on like the play here? Are you a little bit distracted? No, or, there's, only, there's only one thing I'm thinking about is do not fumble. Like just imagine if you get in that one carry and you fumble, you know, like just, I'm just not fumbling no matter what. So like, there was like, there was some real, like I could have taken it to the edge, but like, I just like, I'm cutting, 
Right, first chance I get, I see a crease. I'm going to try to cut get up, up field, and just try to try to get a few yards, ball. hold on to the ball, two hands the whole time, you know, that kind of thing. So, gotcha. That's all I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So, um, I want to read. So, I found a quote from Coach Meyer. So, I want to read this quote. And then I have uh, two follow up questions about this quote. So, uh, this is a quote from Urban Meyer. Uh, this was November 18th, 2006. Um, following this Western Carolina game, he says uh, he must be Florida's version of Rudy. He's an excellent student. He'll be a success for the next 20 years. He's a really classy guy. He's a little guy that has done everything we've asked of him. Uh, he's just a first class guy. We decided to put him in when we saw the sign saying, quote, give me Higgins. I actually got a letter too asking me to play him. He's a great kid. So uh, that's from Urban Meyer. Um, my two questions, number one, why did you write him a letter? Why not just ask him <laughs> to put you in? I did not write him a letter. I so did do not we know, know about the letter until do we know who wrote the... I started. Yes, I found out who it was, a uh, uh, girl that I was friends with, and she just, we weren't even really that close. She just like was just feeling strongly about it, I guess, and wrote a letter that week. Uh, but that was the first I heard about it was when I read that same quote you just said like who wrote the letter yeah oh. and do we so, know anything more about this letter like you know what it, no what, okay we just know that some yeah. you know the general yeah. message was um give me yeah, Higgins. yeah he's been working so hard put him in yeah okay all right so my second question about that is um coach meyer said quote he'll be a success for the next 20 years mm. so i find that kind of offensive um I mean, 20 years with, like, the hard stop date right there, that would be 2026, which is actually coming up pretty fast. We're not that far away. We got five years. So I just wanted to see, like, how are we doing? Like, are we – how is life going? Is so Do funny. we have, you know, are you going to be homeless in a couple of years? Do we have plans for someone to take care of the kids? Wow, um, that's so funny. It's, I mean, that's it's really not funny. funny. This is a we real gonna... question. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go to that quote. So that quote has like haunted me ever since. But actually, I think it's it's meant the exact opposite of what you're saying, which is still haunting to me. But like, I think I went back and watched the video, of the interview, and what he actually said was, uh, "You watch what Tim Higgins is doing twenty years from now, kind of thing. He's going to be a success." Okay. Like it's kind of he gave me twenty years to become a success. Okay. And like ever since that moment, I've had that hanging over my head. Like the clock is ticking, and what have I done with my life up to this mm. point? Like. I've got to do something with my life before that 20 year clock hits or else, you know? So okay. that's kind of how I've been viewing it and thinking uh -huh. of it ever since it's caused a lot of introspection, reflection, looking around and just kind of uh, trying to, you know, grind away at a pretty uh, unremarkable life, trying to be faithful with what I've been called to do, but you know, mm -hmm. it's not, it's nothing nothing to write home about and uh, in a lot of ways compared to what I thought it might be. And so, um, yeah, I, uh, those words keep coming back in different forms. Gotcha. Well, so, you know, for those that listen to the pod that might not know you at all, like me, um, you know, what do you, what are you up to now? Uh, wh what is the life of, um, Tim Higgins and what are you doing to live up to this, uh, 20 year success <laughs> plan? oh man yeah i was a high school teacher and coach at first loved it uh five years i did that in gainesville Buholtz high school um 
but during that time I was active at our church my wife was on staff at our church and uh stuff i would do at church uh just was like man this is this is kind of a sweet spot for me this is where i kind of feel alive so in 2013 we moved up to chicago for me to start seminary and transition careers toward being a pastor 2016 mm-hmm. finished seminary and took a job up here as a pastor and i'm uh, still at that church now now the senior pastor there mm-hmm. and uh i feel like it's my sweet spot i feel like it's what i'm called to do i feel like it's uh it's enjoyable for me it's it's hard but it's you know where my kind of giftedness is and so you know we've got two kids four and two both boys and uh we are um living a pretty great life in a lot of ways um but you know small church that nobody knows about and kind of some of that stuff that you know um is you know i just gotta i gotta keep reminding myself of the metrics that matter in life mm-hmm. uh, and if that makes sense and yeah so, no, certainly but yeah no complaints at all okay okay um so one quick question you know about your your kids um do you have them compete in spelling bees because i heard that you were like a spelling bee national champion or something to that effect man uh yeah we'll see we'll see you know just i don't want to be that dad that you know drives drives hard you know so we're kind of just you know Sarah, my wife, said the other day, you know, it seems like the happiest kids are just kind of average, you know? So maybe we'll just have average kids. That's a, that's a good happiest. observation. A lot of kids, where we live here in the Chicago suburbs, just so much anxiety with these poor kids, you know, just like so much pressure on them and everything. And so mm-hmm. um, so we're trying not to, I mean, we're going to do it inevitably, but trying to, uh, trying to let them just kind of develop at their own pace and not push. But, um, but yeah, you know, seventh and eighth grade, I was in the National Spelling Bee. Uh, good experience well, just a just one of those subculture eye-opening experiences that you uh never forget um but uh yeah good times well i'm sure if uh, the kids developing an interest in uh spelling they'll be in good hands um with a prior spelling bee participant um prior teacher um and you said you did history as your yeah. major yeah history major in florida got a okay. master's in teaching at the citadel Okay. And uh, taught world history and American history. So uh, this is good. This is good because, um, you know, over the last week or so, you know, I had the day off uh, this past Monday for Columbus Day. It's a federal holiday. I work for the VA. So um, federal holiday there. And I heard a lot of uh, a lot of stuff about Columbus Day. Um, So I wanted to get like a true, you know, from an actual historian, um, you know, what do we need to know about Columbus Day? Uh, you know, Columbus, who was he? Just in a nutshell, um, yeah. break it down for us. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if somebody tipped you off on this or not, but there's, you know, uh, when I was a teacher at Buholtz, uh, I was kind of just kind of, I would love kind of goofing around and writing songs for my class and just pull out a guitar and start saying something. So, uh, no, I did, I did not know that. No one tipped me to that. quick interruption uh, with a word from the editor. Uh, it turns out, yeah, Tim Higgins has actually recorded an amazing song on this topic. So um, please, please see the link in the show notes so you can go check that out. It's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, now we'll get back to the conversation. Uh, one of the ones that I wrote was about Columbus and just, it's called, We Gave Him a Holiday. It's, you know, just kind of reflecting on the fact that, okay, like, 
let's think about who we're giving holidays to here. Um, so here's the thing, like 12 years after I wrote that song now, um, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll get that in your hands, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm a little less angsty than I was 12 mm -hmm. years ago, probably. Okay. And a little more like, okay, like I can see a little bit more of my own flaws and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit more inclined to like view historical figures, like, uh, within their time frame, if that makes sense. So just, yep. you know, we just look at every generation, every generation is embarrassed by their grandparents, every generation that has ever lived, you know? So to think mm -hmm. that our grandkids won't be embarrassed by us is probably foolish. You know, they probably will be no matter yeah. how hard we try. Mm -hmm. So let's give some people the benefit of the doubt and judge them according to standards of their time to some extent. Um, right. The thing about Columbus though, is even when you do that, like, <laughs> there were people in his time saying, bro, chill with this, you know, and he's just, you know, going hard on the like, you know, meet your quota of gold uh, today or else I'm going to chop your hand off and, you know, crucify oh, wow. you. you know, that kind of stuff is happening under his watch. And uh, there's, there's other better heroes. If we if we need heroes, which I don't really feel a need for, like, you know, I don't, you know, so uh, if we need heroes, need holidays, need statues, great. But like, they're actually better candidates, I think, from his among his contemporaries. Yeah, no, I mean that's an interesting thing from uh, just you know American history that I've taken is I do feel like there's a flair to any of the you know courses and textbooks in general. You know, the history we're taught that we have to you know promote this narrative of all these people being you know the hero figure. Um, yeah. So yeah, the more I've read about Columbus, it does seem kind of odd that he's the one we chose for, you know, our hero figure holiday. But hey, I it got took to bravery. It took yeah, right here. Yeah. You get days off. It took a lot of bravery to do what he did. I mean, there's there's it was like pretty like certain that they were gonna die in this journey, you know, like that's you know, so like kudos for that. But like what happened in fourteen ninety three onward was just kind of atrocious. Mm, okay. All right. Well, more important than actual um American history is the history of this fantasy football league. Right. I still, I don't know. I, you know, I try to talk to Dave. Sugar Loops Brigade, what is the origin of this name? What is the Sugar Loop? I don't really know what that is still. Right. Uh, Dave yeah. didn't really know. So do you know anything about this? No, I was on the edge of my seat last week waiting for an answer to that. Oh Always gosh. wondered, don't have it. A couple of things I just want to contribute though, just real quick uh, after listening to last week's though. <laughs> you know, uh, I feel I, I got to make a couple of confessions. It's just, you know, my conscience is bothering me. One is I got the first pick in this year's draft. I did not finish last last year. The email came out. I was second to last. Uh, I'm not sure how it happened that then it was like, okay, Tim finished last. He gets first pick. I thought about saying, oh. hey, actually, I shouldn't have first pick. Wow, but I just let it ride. To my shame. Wow. I kind of justified in my head, rationalized, and mm -hmm. said, you know what? Maybe there was like some kind of tiebreaker, but it wasn't a tie. It wasn't, you know. It, but like there, maybe there was some like some metric after the season that I didn't know about and just I just let it ride and didn't say anything about it I feel some guilt about that now wow. I just need to make it known well you know a lot of respect for you to come out you know come clean with that so maybe maybe Mike Ryan will clear up something and said no you actually were last based on you know this <laughs> this calculus you know of this and this happened but the other thing is a little it goes back a little further is Dave mentioned a uh, year or two when our wives were in the league uh -huh. and uh, you know, it was this big, you know, like feminist 
you know, like women should be able to play too. It's atrocious that you guys haven't, you know, let us in the league. And so, you know, we said, great. Yeah, you guys are in. And then they had like great, you know, incredible success. But like that year that Sarah made it to the championship, I set her rosters every week. She wasn't Whoa. doing it. And, and I know, I got to just say it. Like I was super embarrassed that we had made this big deal about like, okay, like let's let these people on the league. And then she's like not putting any effort in and she's going to like have a team with injured players and in empty spots every week. And it's going to kill the league. Like I couldn't let that happen. So I'm like, you got to do your thing. And she's like, I don't have time to do this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get on and do it this week, but next week you better. And we just did that the whole year. Now in the wow. playoffs, I did put my foot down and say, you got to do it yourself. But then this mm-hmm. playoffs, So she was like interested in doing it and she made it to the championship. But like, and I said, you know, that's why that was her last year in the league. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. So just wow. again, we're just coming clean here. I'm just getting, I'm just getting some monkeys off my back, elephants off my chest. Feels good. So now um, was she, yeah. she was like actively advocating to be in the league. Yes. And then yeah. she just her lost all interest. Yeah. She, like, right. They just, yeah. You know, when it really comes, they didn't realize how, or no, I'm not speaking for Karen. Karen's all in. Uh, Sarah didn't know. How much takes work a lot of work. Take. I didn't think about that. You know, the idea of being in the league was better than the mm. actual reality. Yeah. Okay. So she she had a great draft that she did herself, but then like setting the rosters each week, that was unfortunately sadly me. Gotcha. Um, okay. So she did the draft. She was fired up at the beginning. Didn't realize yeah. this is you know a long term multi month commitment. Here. Right. Yes. Right. Um, and okay, interest waned, and you had to take over. Yeah. Um, which you know, okay, so that was her first and last year. Right. Okay. All right. So confession one, uh, you don't think that you really got last place, but you took first pick anyways. Confession two, you set all the rosters uh, for your wife, uh, Sans playoffs. Um, Anything else that we need to get off our chest? You know, uh, no, my one motivation in this league, the thing that drives me week after week, year after year is I got to win this trophy back. And the first thing I do when I do that is I'm going to go back to the deflate gate year uh, when Dave Fields rode Tom Brady to the championship while he's cheating all the way. And we're just putting an asterisk next to Dave Fields' name. Like, I'm just – I'm going to get that engraved on the trophy next to his name. It deserves to be there. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to erase it. I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, we need to etch his name off of the trophy. It's not like that. I just it, – it deserves to have a little asterisk next to his name. That's all I'm saying. Right. Kind of like a little – yeah, okay. Um, so there is an actual hard copy – physical trophy for this league oh yes yes there is okay and dave somehow just keeps it every year i think even though other people win i think they have been kind of engraving new names on it but i you know every year dave makes a video or takes a picture of him Mm, yeah i feel like like, yeah i feel like an audit is in place here um i know mike bryant as pharmacy supervisor is skilled in doing uh, various types of audits so maybe i can check with him right right um, right the one year I did win it, it did get shipped up here to me, and I had it for a little minute and then sent oh, it back. Uh, so, but I think we've gotten out of that practice. I don't know if Jason Neely has it in his possession right now. That'd be good to track down. Okay, we're going to have to follow up on that. I'll make a note here. Um, so to, to close this out here, um, you know, one of my standing questions that, you know, I, I plan to ask all my guests is about their, their favorite football memory as either a player or a spectator, or you could talk about one of each. Um, so what would that be for you? And if it's the Western Carolina, we already talked about that. So we'll have to talk about something else. Uh, what would it be for you? Yeah, man, it's just, man, it's a lot of them. I think probably the two, like one, one of Florida was that South Carolina game in 2006. 
at oh night, my gosh. you know, third yep. blocked kick of the night, you know, to win the game 17-16, just that moment where we're just kind of all hanging on Nuts. and seeing what's going to happen. Like, you know, surely they're going to make this kick and we're going to lose and our hopes for championship are dashed. But then Jarvis Moss blocks it. We all just storm the field. It's the loudest I've ever heard in the swamp. Somebody told me this year that uh, maybe Alabama, one of the games earlier this year was louder than that when they were at both I don't games. believe it. It's hard don't for me to believe, believe it. Hard yeah, for don't believe, believe it at all. Right. Do not believe it at all. I don't either. Um, but that was amazing. And then the, probably the other one is uh, the year at the Citadel, you know, getting to play for my dad. Uh, Furman is a rival of ours. We had like a 54-51 kind of overtime shootout. I had a couple big plays in that game. But when we won that game, just, you know, running over to my dad and, you know, jumping in his arms and getting that kind of moment together That's after that awesome. game was, was pretty pretty sweet. That's great. Okay. All right. And then what would be your favorite football play, which I'm imagining it's probably something offensive, you know, as a wide receiver, like what's your favorite route to run? Man, uh, just love working in the slot, uh, doing some kind of outbreaking fake that ends up in a post. So, uh, you know, whether it's a corner to a post, whether it's, you know, you know, give a little juke to the out route, then work the post when you get man to man coverage, it's just, so beautiful i just my boy hunter renfro if you've seen he's been working on one variation of that this year that is just so nasty it just makes me want to get out there and play flag football one more time to try that route he's running i don't know if you've seen it but like he's pivoting in no. and out and in and then back to the post he just made uh somebody look silly a few weeks ago down by the goal line on that um just love that so much um if you ever get adam langston on this podcast uh some, uh, and some, 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 you know, uh, one thing I neglected to mention in my playing career is after I got done, uh, the year after I played at the Citadel, um, I was asked by David DiVirgilio, I mean, uh, uh, James DiVirgilio, who some of these people in this league know, uh, to play on his flag football team. Mm-hmm. Adam Langston's kind of like the commissioner of that league. Mm. I'm like, great, yeah, I'll come out and play. This will be fun. And this team, and asked, I, you know, I would love to hear Adam's thoughts on this or what he knew about this at the time, but like, I rode the bench on that team. I'm coming <laughs> off like, I'm coming off like, uh, you know, I'd scored a touchdown at Camp Randall at Wisconsin the year before in the first quarter to tie the game there, like against between two NFL, future NFL defenders. Like I'm thinking like, okay, like this is like kind of nice of me to come be on this team. And then they're just like these guys that have had like this like wristband full of plays for years that they've been running <laughs> together. And it's kind of like, they like, yeah, like this would be nice to get some depth by bringing in Tim Higgins. And I'm just like, watching these games <laughs> and uh dave fields is giving me a hard time every week like tim you're you're not playing for this team like you're, you're like really on the bench for this team and i'm like trying to be a good teammate but man that still kind of haunts me is like how did i not crack the starting lineup for that like football team so i don't know and if adam langston remembers that but yeah i mean have you guys talked about this at all since or is this just you know skeleton no dug up david yeah dave and i have laughed about it but uh i can't remember uh, what Adam's role in all that was. Uh, and so, yeah, or how much he knew about that, but uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see if we can uh, yeah. get Adam on the pod at some point. I mean, um, I felt like I could contribute, you know, that's just what I'll, that's just what I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could have, I'm sure, you know, as coach or commish or whatever Adam's role was, maybe, you know, he, he saw other, other uh, needs for the team. Um yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to talk to him about that. Uh, so, so to wrap up here, um, like we said, you know, 
on podcasts. People talk about other podcasts. And I know that you had a little bit of podcast burnout. So, you know, I don't know if you're still in the podcast game, but is there anything you're, you know, watching, uh, reading, listening to these days that you could recommend to the rest of the group? Yeah, I mean, you know, most of the stuff I listen to is uh, kind of like, you know, Christian, you know, kind of just like stuff building my faith and, you know, work life mm-hmm. the pastor related stuff. So, um, but one that one that's sort of in that genre, but has been kind of like very popular for many groups of people is uh, called the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's been the, you know, number, it's cracked the top five of podcasts worldwide recently. It's just this church that, you know, kind of. The, ri- the rise and fall of who? Mar- Mars Hill. It's the name of a church in Seattle that, you know, blew up Mars and then, Hill. you know, kind of had a big failure. And, uh, man, you know, for people kind of processing, like, what church is supposed to be and isn't supposed to uh-huh. be, you know, for some people, that's going to be a good thing to listen to. Some it's not. But it's been fascinating for me and helpful for me just kind of, like, naming, like, healthy things that I've seen in churches and want to cultivate as a pastor and then other things that uh-huh. are not so healthy. So oh, That sounds very interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, our final thing here, you're on the big sugar loop stage. You have the ear of at least four to five listeners based on my uh, podcast analytics. Um, (laughs) Is there anything else that we didn't talk about or anything else you would like to say before we close it out? No, Joe, I just appreciate your, uh, your hosting skills here. You dropped some knowledge on us tonight, some scientific, you know, Josh Fields may be able to use some of what was shared earlier in a science project, you know, if he's, <laughs> if he's working on some, you know, injuries, stuff, it could be, so I just appreciate the, the you doing your homework and uh, bringing such value to us in this. Appreciate the positive feedback. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and close it out. Uh, you know, thank you, Tim, for your time. Uh, listeners, tune in next week. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to get someone else on the pod. Who will it be? Uh, You'll have to tune in to find out.